This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of All Possibilities is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Some of the challenges of being intuitive and ultra-sensitive, like Teresa Caputo from the Long Island Medium, can be anxiety, depression, and other mental and health issues. So how do you move past such hurdles and focus on making a difference in the lives of others? Perhaps this even describes you. It also describes my guest for today's conversation, Alexandra Macias. You'll hear about how she co-founded the C3 Method, which brings holistic wellness into businesses, how she impacts autistic and special needs children with yoga, and how she brought her own very human journey into the work she does as a shining example of living one's purpose. Plus, she shares a life-changing premonition that you won't want to miss. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. I'm so glad you could be here today. I'm here with Alexandra Macias, who is the co-founder of the C3 Method and Yoga Medicine for Kids. Alexandra, let's start off by having you tell us why is yoga important to you? Yoga is very important to me in terms of healing. Um, A lot of people look at it as a workout, a time for you to get zen. And for me, it stems from healing from depression, anxiety, feeling ostracized, um, taking a lot of antidepressants that kept me feeling numb. Um, And that allowed me to do something where it it was very healing in a natural sense, where I was able to reconnect with my body. From being so disconnected and experiencing disassociation and just outer body experiences, doing yoga helped me just kind of remember who I was and remember that I'm in my own control of my body and I'm able to heal myself. You know, we all have that power, but I think it takes something or someone to help us reconnect with that power to heal. So it's overall very important. And especially in terms of the yogi medicine for kids, um, it's an alternative medicine for children because I was medicated at a very young age, starting at 12 years old. I was um, taking Zoloft um, 100 milligrams twice a day in the morning and at night. And then on top of that, the Xanax for the panic attacks I was experiencing every day and every night. So um, starting at 12, starting at 12, uh, mind you, when they prescribed that medication to me, no one explained to me what it even was. The doctor just, you know, had in my parents a prescription and said, oh, she has depression and anxiety. Give her this. There was like no like ulterior motives. There was no like, oh, here's some other modalities you can use to help. These are the side effects. You know, this is what you're going to feel. Let us know how you're doing. Nothing. It was just like, oh, okay. And then, you know, you're so desperate at that moment that you take the medication. But at a certain point, you become very numb. Cause, but it subsides the anxiety, which is great. However, you know, you start to, your your hair starts to thin out, you're very tired, you're lethargic all day just because of the medication. You kind of feel a little bit like if you're high or something, like if you were just like smoking weed all day. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a horrific experience on the antidepressants because it did help my anxiety. However, in the long term, it wasn't something I wanted to continue to do and had to depend on a pill 
just to get by every day was very difficult for me. So yoga was one of the ways that I was able to heal, you know, outside of different modalities as well that I was doing to really kind of cope with um, the anxiety and depression. Let's unpack that a little bit more. What what was the context like when you were 12 or, or even the years leading mm-hmm. up to it that that gave you the symptoms, I guess, of anxiety and depression? Like what was going on in your life? Help us understand that. You know what? It's weird. I always felt like, oh, I'm a little weird or of a kid. I always had like um, premonitions. I was very highly intuitive since I could remember probably like having memories of like being four to five years old and always thinking like, oh, like something strange, like feeling like you're just a little bit different than some other people or some of the other kids or that my thought process was a little separate from them. Um, Not in the worst or, oh, I'm better than anybody type of way, just kind of like I couldn't understand it myself. I mean, I had a very great childhood upbringing. You know, my parents, you know, you know, we lived in a middle class family. So I went to Catholic school. So when an outsider looking in, they'd be like, oh, she's a perfectly normal, you know, little girl. Like, you know, she has great parents. She has, she goes to Catholic school. But I always had anxiety. Like, you know, but at that moment, you can't ex- describe that feeling. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what does anxiety mean to a five-year-old or a six-year-old? I would be like, oh, you know, I have that feeling in my stomach, you know, like, so then you associate that with like stomach pains and that wasn't it. It was the anxiety that I had. Um, And then my mom would take me to the psychologist, you know, the same, I would explain to him the same thing or I would be like, you know, people talk to me. But then in your head, you're even saying that to a psychologist and he's kind of like, is she like schizophrenic? You know what I mean? Is she (laughs) like experiencing different bipolar personality disorders? But it was more so the intuitions that I had. And I always was like, I would always have these gut feelings and then those things would happen. And my parents got divorced when I was nine years old. Um, and that was the first pivotal moment that I remember experiencing like high levels of anxiety. But prior to that happening, I had a premonition about it. And then a week later that happened. So, and I couldn't describe that to my family because you're very, you know, you're young and you're not understanding what's happening. Your dad just moved out of the house and, you know, they're fighting over the business and fighting over this. And then you're seeing your dad just sad. And, you know, so I always just kind of had that motherly kind of like caring love, you know, for my family. And I think if I look back in time, that's when it really started to accelerate and change. And I think by the time I was 10 years old, I never had really had any health problems growing up. I was a very healthy child. I started getting like asthma and like feelings of like I can't breathe. And I would wake up in the middle of the night, like feeling like someone was on top of me and just not being able to breathe. So of course, you know, my parents take me to the doctor and he's like, oh, she has a little bit of asthma. And, um, but I, in my head, I, you know, your heart, you're like, that's not it. I feel weird. Like I just kept saying, I just don't feel right. I feel weird because it was just being outside of your body. I think that's what I was experiencing, which if people who have suffered through depression and anxiety, that's a huge symptom is a dissociation, a dissociation with your body parts. So, um, and then I think, I think by age 12, I had my first full blown panic attack. Um, and that was probably the worst experience I've ever in my life have had, like where I literally can say, I don't wish that to my worst enemy to anybody in life because you're 12 years old. First of all, you don't even know what a panic attack is. You haven't even heard that term. So I just remember being with my friends and out of nowhere, my heart started beating, you know, faster, just slightly. And then you kind of catch yourself and you see your, your breathing starts to change. And I started catching myself and I'm like, I feel weird. And then your hands get clammy. 
and like the whole thing. And then I, then it starts beating faster and faster. And then I felt like I couldn't breathe, like where you legitimately couldn't catch up with your breath. And I was like, I'm going to pass out. Like I'm having a heart attack, like, cause you just don't know. And then they called 911 because I just didn't know what to do. And then I think I even had some sort of like hives, but I think it was that adrenaline rush that was going through my body. And then my parents came and I'm literally thinking like you, I literally felt like my body, my soul out of my body. Like if I was looking down at myself, I was terrified. Um, and so my parents, of course, came to the hospital. They ran all these tests and, you know, the, they did an MRI. They did the, um, you know, the heart monitor. And they're like, everything's normal. She was just had a panic attack. And you're like, what? what? Like, you know, and at that point, you almost want to hear like, oh, something's wrong. We're going to do surgery and fix it, you know, like, but there's no, everything's normal. Everything's fine. And I'm like freaking out. My parents are like, you know, talking to the doctor. And then they took me, they left me there maybe a couple hours and they took me home. I think they gave me an, a Xanax at the hospital. And then they scheduled an appointment for my regular doctor. And he's the one who put me on Zoloft right away. So um, and then, but the panic attacks happened every single day. Like my life changed from that moment. I've never been the same. I think, um, I think anxiety is almost like an addiction. Like, you know, once you have it, you have it, you just learn to cope with it and, and learn to find different ways to subside your symptoms and your thought process more than anything. But my journey started at age 12. So I was taking Zoloft. Um, the panic attacks happened every single night. So I had trouble sleeping a lot. Um, I was at a school even for a on month. medication. I'm sorry, even on mm -hmm. medication, you were well, even with the Zoloft. It yeah. helped a lot. It helped me to still be day to day. Okay. But I had to take Xanax every single night. Yeah. And so going from I was a very social person, like I always have had a lot of friends. And so going from always going out and hanging out and being talkative to now I developed um, agoraphobia which is a fear of everything. So I was scared to be driving on the freeway, scared of enclosed spaces. Like it became claustrophobic, um, scared of being in class. So in my classrooms, they had to switch me to the chair by the door, you know? So if I had to leave and exit the room, I was able to do it. But I did take a, about a month off of school because my anxiety was so bad I couldn't go to school anymore. Um, I, um, what else? I developed, because usually people who have anxiety and depression either have OCD first as a prominent um, symptom. And then because of the OCD, they experience anxiety or depression. Mine was the other way around. I had anxiety and depression, and then I had OCD tendencies. So then I started to develop little OCD tendencies. Like I can only sleep in one room. I can only touch one doorknob. If I didn't do it the right way, I would have to redo it. Cause in your head, you're like, something bad's going to happen. It's just a really like, um, it's a long journey. It's hard to understand for most people unless you've experienced it because it's legitimately like you're fighting with your mind and it's internal and out. People can't see it. Like when someone has cancer or someone is paralyzed, you can, you know, it's something tangible you can see and you're more prone to open the door for them. Like, Hey, let me help you. Do you need something? But when someone's mentally ill, they don't see it. So then you get ostracized because you're like, Oh, well she's weird or she's negative or, oh, I don't have time for that. She has anxiety. We can't invite her here because she's not going to be able to come or she can't be in indoor closed spaces, you know? So then you start to feel like you're more of a burden for people. And I try to hide it as much as I could. Like I try to be normal as much as I could, but I couldn't keep up with myself sometimes, you know? And back in the day, I'm, I'm 31 years old. So I was what, 12 and this is where really mental illness had such a negative connotation. So you want to deny it because you don't want people to think you're crazy. And that's how I felt at a young age. Um, so I think a pivotal moment for me was just 
kind of like crying to my parents and being like, I just don't want to live, you know, because you just, you know, and then you start to get suicidal thoughts, you know what I mean? And I did try to commit suicide, I think about two times. I mean, obviously I wasn't successful, but you know, you don't know exactly how to do it. You're just so desperate and you just want to be normal again that you just feel like, how am I going to live like this and be taking pills all day and be scared every day, wake up with your heart palpitating and every day be scared and not know what's going to happen, you know? Um, so it was a, it was a difficult journey. And, but I think that's where spirituality comes in. I think I was just a very intuitive person and it really affected me. I'm very sensitive by nature. So any type of feeling that I had really, you know, really, I think took a toll on me, you know, and plus not understanding, not having any tools, any resources. No one at school helped me out. They were just like, okay, call your mom, come pick you up. My parents worked full time. They had their own business. So I had a nanny and, you know, um, they would try to help me as much as they could, but they just didn't, they didn't even have the tools. Parents sometimes don't have the tools to help their kids through that. Like, what do you do as a parent besides take them to take all these blood work and take them to the doctors and a psychologist? And when they're telling you, oh, well, your daughter, you know, on paper is normal, you know, maybe she's just an adolescent or she's going through puberty or, you know, maybe she wants attention. It's like, Jesus Christ, you know, I'm like, that's not it. Even my brother's like, oh, she wants attention. I'm like, I don't like, I just want to be normal. <laughs> you know, I would pray to God, like, please help me. Cause I, I was really, really like defeated in that sense. It's interesting that, that you had mentioned you had a premonition mm-hmm. of the divorce mm-hmm. and, and then it actually happened. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that among other things, maybe that was really a catalytic moment in your life. Absolutely. And and you went to Catholic school mm-hmm. with premonitions and intuition and all right. of that. So I'm curious, how was that playing out like in your mind? Like was did you feel this tension between your own personal experience of, you know, having this premonition and it's it's, you know, can be very traumatic for someone mm-hmm. to to see it happen and mm-hmm. then actually have it happen in real life like mm-hmm. there there could be an association of did i like did i do something to make this happen could i have prevented it you know all these questions what was that like for you to to kind of combine the the premonition experience the catholic school plus all of these symptoms happening i think that's where my ocd tendencies came about because people with ocd you always think i caused this even something where it's ludicrous, like, oh, I curled my hair today. And that day that I curled my hair, I fell and someone got hurt, you know? So then you think I'm never going to curl my hair again. So I started developing things like that where I'm like, oh, maybe because I thought that was going to happen, it did happen. And that was the first thing, the first premonition I had. I had several afterwards. You know, my mom got remarried shortly after the divorce to this particular man who was a family friend. So it was just already like a dramatic situation with the adults in my household. Um, but I had that premonition as well. And they just continued to happen. And so I kept thinking like, oh, it's me. You know, I am crazy. You know, and growing up Catholic, you're, you know, you don't believe in things like that. It's like, oh, that's just witch stuff. And you know what I mean? You don't want to think that way. And I always thought and believed in reincarnation. I don't know how, because I went to Catholic school my whole life, but I always thought that was real. I was like, maybe in my past life and I would have talked about it. And my dad's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, you know, we believe in reincarnation. And he's like, no, we don't. He's like, I pay all this money to send you to Catholic school and you learned nothing. And I was like, we don't like I Googled, like I'm not Google back in the day, but who knows who I asked my, oh, the priest at my school. He's like, 
no, we don't believe in that. I was like, wow, this whole time, like, you know, I'm sitting here thinking I'm so enlightened. Where did that come and, from? You know what I mean? I was like, are you sure we didn't only in chapter two in their religion book? You know, like, and I'm like going back and I was like, where did I miss this? You know, because I just always felt a very spiritual connection. I remember even being four and, and playing in like daycare or, you know, right before pre-K and all these little kids are playing and I would always go around looking for like spirits or ghosts and I was just weird you know and I was really drawn to the spiritual world and I remember thinking I'm like am I weird and I was four I just have this clear memory of me being in the playground and being like am I weird but yeah I definitely think that had a huge role to play until this day it affects me until this day, it really does. Like in terms of like, did I cause that? Because people are always like, oh, you have you know a lot of anxiety or, oh, you think so much, you know, you're so analytical and you have like a little hamster wheel in your head. They're like, you kind of cause your own conflicts. And I'm like, I don't try to. So till this day, I still believe like, did I do that? Was it my negative thoughts? Did I create that for myself? Because it's still a practice. Healing is a practice. So I do think being Catholic and being young and, um, feeling like you're causing things and having premonitions, you either think you're weird or you're like, you know, possessed or, you know, you're this dramatic person. And I think people even ostracize you even more. So you start to internalize it. And that just perpetuates the situation and perpetuates everything. I am from LA and I moved here four years ago. So when I moved here, I was like, thank, this is before I founded my company. And I was like, thank God I don't have to be that person anymore because no one here knows me. So all my friends had to like, they, they were through my journey and I had other things going on and things. I, I relapsed on my depression when one of my friends passed away and it got really worse. So, you know, even when you heal, like it's an addiction, you can go right back to it. And when you fall back, it's even harder to get back up from that. But when I moved here, I was like, oh, thank God. Like I, I can reinvent myself. People don't have to know that past. And then this happened and now I talk about it more because <laughs> I'm like, well, but I, I'm so thankful because one of the times that I tried to commit suicide, I remember that day and I, I praying and praying and praying to God. And I said, if you help me, if you help me get through this, and I was what, nine, 18? No, I'm sorry, 19. I was like, I will dedicate the rest of my life to helping people. I swear to God. I was like, whatever you want me to do. And, and when this, when I founded my company, it hit me and I was like, oh shit, that's what I'm doing right now. And I, it was like this humbling experience that you feel like, thank you, God, like this is God's work. And, and I appreciate the journey I went on because of, this is why I experienced it. So I can help others. If you see right now, mental health is everywhere. Back then, nobody even talked about it, you know? So you, I feel almost lucky that I'm, I'm part of it, you know, and I feel blessed that God allowed me to be a platform or a pillar for other people. And if I can help one other person through my experience, I feel like I did my job. So you can just, whatever you want, whatever way you want to go, you know, you can dig into anything for people to hear, um, you know, that mental awareness is is so important. And, and I think people just turn their head to it. And it's very sad. And especially suicide. People, 10 out of the 10 of those people asked for help. And no, because how they treated me back in the day, like, oh, I don't want to deal with her. She's so negative. She's like a burden. So they turn your head. And then that's why, luckily, I'm so thankful that people that did help me out and I was able to get better. But think of all those people who could have, we could have saved had someone just extended themselves or gotten them the help and the resources that they really needed. It's preventative, 100% preventative, but we don't take it seriously. Mm. And that's what's sad, you know? We'll be right back. Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. 
Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. Check out Sennheiser's latest Bluetooth in-ear headphones, the HD1 Free. Premium materials and flawless craftsmanship combined with stunning Sennheiser sound all in one small and wireless package. And we're not kidding. This makes a great gift. Learn more at Sennheiser.com. And our listeners can get a 25% discount with the code MouthMediaSen at checkout. That's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N. Alexandra, you talked about your childhood experience with panic attacks, with anxiety and depression. How did it then lead to what you're doing today? And what is it that you created? Yes, of course. Um, Well, we founded the C3 Method. It actually launched this year. Um, My business partner and I, Michael Blunt, we've been working on it since 2016. The reason, one of the main reasons why we started this company is due to my panic attacks, because I had a couple relapses, um, I was put on stress leave twice at two different jobs due to my panic attacks. So again, I was, you know, having a hard time at work, you know, even though I always excelled at every job that I had, when I would relapse, it would debilitate me. And in fear of me having to explain myself to upper management, you know, because I didn't want to be ostracized again or looked like, oh, I'm incapable of doing my job, you know, because I'm someone who has like this thing called depression or anxiety. So I would hide it, but it affected my performance and they started to notice it. And when I finally vocalized like, hi, I'm having a really hard time with my anxiety at work. They, all they really said was, hey, I'm so sorry you're going through that. But however, we have to put you on a stress leave you know, because we need someone who's here, who's able to do the job. And on a business perspective, you understand it. You know, like, okay, well, I get it. But that's all they say. You have health insurance, go talk to the healthcare provider. They'll let you know what your options are. And once I went on a stress leave, they kind of were like, hey, how are you doing? You know, like, do you think you'll be fine by two weeks? Because if not, we have to fill in your position. So twice I was put on a stress leave. um, And it just makes it worse because you're now just thinking, like, God, if I don't get better, I'm going to lose all my jobs, you know, and it put me back in school again. So the C3 method essentially is an in-office corporate wellness programming. Um, so we bring different modalities um, and we customize to corporates and we bring everything on site. So we use things like um, yoga, meditation, massage therapy, nutritional coaching, Pilates, group fitness, um, just to provide these services and tools to people to reduce stress and essentially increase productivity and saving the company money. So people like myself are able to have these tools at work, you know, and not have to put people on stress leave and not have people like freaking out at work and having low performances or people who are disengaged and feeling like they're not being valued at work. So I figured why not bridge that gap, you know, um, have my personal experience through depression and anxiety and me being put on a stress leave, essentially costing the company more money, still having to pay me out, hire somebody else, you know, and retrain them. Why don't you give people the tools at work? That's where they spent most of their time at is at work. 80% of your day is probably at work. So why not allow them to have these tools to get better? Even if they do have anxiety, hey, there's a little meditation room. Go take a 10 minute break. 
you know what I mean? Allowing people that space to vocalize who they are because it goes such a long way. So that's essentially at the core of what I really want to do with the C3 method is to be able to allow employees to have a space to be themselves, to get the help that they need. You don't even have to have anxiety or depression. You can just be like, hey, I just want to reduce my stress. I want to overall be healthier, you know? So that's what the C3 method does. And, and that's our goal as well to do. What do you think are the top points that can persuade a company to take this on? Is it all about productivity for them? In all honesty, for them is the return on their investment. Um, so they want to know the bottom line, like how is this helping my company? And, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's corporate. So people want to save money. And you do. You save money on healthcare costs. A healthier and ha- happier employee is going to be more productive. So it's essentially saving the company money. There's less stress leave, more engaged employees, um, happier employees, and healthier. The healthier an employee is, the less their healthcare cost is. You know, so we had a particular company um, that said, "Hey, you know what? A main point for us is I'm paying too much money because I have a lot of overweight employees that sit at desk all day, that don't eat healthy. It's New York City. Come on, we don't have time." You know, I'm from L.A. essentially, and I had I worked out twice a day. I was eating healthy all the time. That was the culture. You come to New York, you're moving around, you're on trains, you're getting pushed, you're getting shoved. You have to perform. It's a really overworked culture that we have. Then to reduce our stress, we go to happy hour. You know what I mean? Like here, it's even like yoga and, and drinks, anything and drinks. You know what I mean? Which is fine for me. I'm Mexican. So I'm like, OK, I'll enjoy it. But then after a while, you want to be like, hey, like. I want to I want to take care of myself just to be healthy, reducing diabetes, people sleep better, you know, so companies really want to look at it like, how does this save my company money? And it does 100 percent. We have a lot of statistics that are done that just showing uh, like even 50 percent reduction in stress in employees by using these holistic um, preventative measures and it's saving the company tons of money. So I think if you want to say those three highlighting points to a CEO, he's going to say, okay. How easy is it? First of all, how is it saving money? How easy is it? And when, how do we do that? It has to be easy and it has to be fast. So for what we do, it's easy. Hey, we come in there, we identify your cultural pain points, what your needs are. We customize a program around that and we bring everything to your office, including from the therapist to the massage chairs, the yoga mats, the blocks, you know, so it's all customized with us and it's easy. And we really try to stay very competitive in our pricing because for us, we really just want to help people. I'm thinking back to when I had uh, yoga in my office Mm -hmm. in the organization that I worked at prior to this, and it took a lot of effort to drag myself away from my desk because obviously we always have things due yesterday, right? And to to change or to bring the mat down or or whatever and to actually take that time. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there could be a percentage of people who are saying, yes, I'm going, you know, having this in my office is great. Mm -hmm. It's going to make it so much easier. I don't have to go outside to the gym. Mm -hmm. And then there are those people who, who just are chained to their desk. How do you, how do you deal with those people? I think engagement for us is huge. Um, Prior to this, I had experience working at Equinox doing corporate sales for them. So I sold to all CEOs and VPs and they would give me the same rebuttal. Like, I don't have the time. Like, I have to run to Connecticut and catch a train. I'm busy. Even walking two blocks to a gym is a waste of my time. I'm like, but you're obviously here because this is important to you. You don't waste your time to talk to someone about a gym membership if that's not an interest to you. Everyone wants to feel better. Even me, like, oh, I have that cycling class and it's like, oh, how do I get there? 
you know, but for us, it's like, hey, we're doing it at a time that's best for the company. So if that means, hey, at the end of day, when you're already getting ready to leave, it's not disrupting your time. You're like, hey, my day ends at five. We can do the yoga class at 530. So that's part of the customization. We really try to identify first what the company wants and the best time so it's not disruptive to their day. Because we totally understand. I mean, my business partner and I both worked in corporate, so we do understand the environment that we're coming into. And that's why we take a customized approach. And we also try to find the best instructors and we switch up the modalities. So one week we might do yoga. The next week it might be Pilates. The next week it'd be massage and drive incentives and have different vendors and drop product drops where it's something different and you're not feeling like it's a redundant task at work. And the more we engage, like kind of like me, let's say you and I were working together at the office and you're like, come on, Alexandra, let's go. And I'm like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then I see you do it. Then I see Joe get up and I'm like, okay, I, I can't be the only one not participating. You know, so I think engagement is huge and us just approaching this as a lifestyle brand versus a service is very important to me because it is a lifestyle. We're not just throwing a yoga person in there. We're embodying a culture. We're embodying health. We're really trying to get people to create a routine that part of self-care is getting up and doing the yoga class, just like brushing your teeth and eating breakfast. That's self-care. And we as a society have failed to teach that to young adults. And now we're unlearning all those unhealthy patterns and recreating new ones for ourselves. And now it's up to us to really start doing that. I like that you talk about self-care from that perspective because mm -hmm. it, it really does require an individual mind shift to mm -hmm. prioritize something like this. And when you have a community of people, like let's say your coworkers are getting up and going and, right. and your friends are saying, hey, you know, did you go to your yoga class that you said you wanted to go to? Um, then it really helps. It, it just kind of decreases the barrier. And if anything, help lifts people sure. to actually do that. So and I think the C3 method, we understand that it's going to take a time to build that culture because right. it's like, you know. Back when our parents were in jobs like, hey, this is nine to five. This is what you do. You overwork. You work hard. But why not take care of yourself while you're working? No, no employee is really going to produce to their best capacity if they're not taking care of themselves first. It starts with you. You know what I mean? And that takes discipline, just like athletes. If you see how disciplined they are in their workouts and how they, you know, take care of themselves in terms of how they eat, what food they're eating, how they're sleeping, that's part of their program so they can excel. Why aren't we doing that in corporate? Like we're sitting at our desk, just sitting eight hours a day. They say it's worse than smoking cigarettes. You know what I mean? So it's just like, why not as a, as a CEO or a VP not want your employees to be healthy and to be happy and, and to say, hey, take care of yourself. And when you take care of yourself, then everyone's, you know, better off. Your, the results are better. Your, your office culture is better. It's just starts, it starts with us as individuals, you know, to actually co-create a new working culture. And that's something that we can do now. We all just stand up and say, Hey, no, this isn't working anymore. This obviously hasn't been working. Diabetes in America now is still going up statistically, even though all the organic foods that we have and the, all the money we have and people are still, even children, diabetes is raising. Why? 
obviously something isn't working. People are more stressed out. We hear about suicides all the time now and the shootings. That's all mental health. Why aren't we taking that seriously? And then we have the worst, one of the worst healthcare systems. It's like a joke. Like, it's like, you know, like enough is enough. And when are we going to just get up and be like, no, this, that's not what we want anymore. We want to be better and we want to take care of ourselves. I should be able to take 20 minutes out of my day during my nine hour shift to just meditate. You know, that's part of self-love. And we, unfortunately, our generation, we weren't really taught that when we were little. Yeah, you're taught to brush your teeth and sleep and go to school and study and work, 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 work. But what about emotionally, my emotional intelligence? You know, and, and that will lead me into why we started Yogi Medicine for Kids as well. The change starts with them. So they have the tool. We can, we can now, society, give them the tools that we weren't taught. So now when they're in their 30s, they don't have to try to learn what we're trying to learn. Coming up next, you'll hear more of this story. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mouth Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. You were talking about self-care and the culture of the organization, and that reminds me of one of my colleagues who I didn't actually work with her, mm-hmm. but she was kind of in a more senior level person that that uh, kind of took on a mentoring role. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was working extremely late one day, and it's it's sort of it was my reputation for working right. really late all the time and just getting a lot of stuff done. And I remember her telling me, you know, Julie, you are the only one who can take care of yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. No one else is going to actually make that choice for you Mm -hmm. except for you. And that was the first time that it really hit me where, you know, maybe your mom can tell you that. I don't actually know if she told me that. I think she's always probably saying, you know, work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) work more or, you know, get, get stuff done and achieve and get, get to the next level. But it was the first time where it was just crystal clear and, and it, it took someone else telling me that and actually really going out of her way to tell me that it wasn't her role. It wasn't, you know, she wasn't paid Mm -hmm. to do something like that. And, and that really then, inspired me to say, you know what, I do want to go to that yoga class or I do want to take a walk mm-hmm. or, you know, go outside for lunch as opposed to being at my desk. So I think there's there's a role that everyone can play, no matter mm-hmm. who they are, whether they're the CEO or a boss or something, just to kind of look out for everyone. Um, and And that's really what's going to shift the culture if we all say, you know what, we're we're here to take care of everyone, mm-hmm. and otherwise, you know, we're not going to function as a as a team or as a system. And and then also, 
you setting that kind of like bar for people like, oh, Julie stays, you know, late at work. I would feel sometimes when I had someone else stay later than me, I would want to stay late too because you feel like I need to produce and I, I need to get work done and this is having a great work ethic. But is it really, you know what I mean? And and then I'm sure once you started maybe taking your lunch breaks or maybe doing that yoga class, I'm sure it took a while for you not to feel guilty. You know, I'm assuming, you know, because I would feel guilty. You know what I mean? When I had really high intense, you know, sales jobs where I'm like, I have to produce, I have numbers to reach. We sit there 13 hours a day and then you're being praised when you work so late and praised when you work hard. But what about when I burn out? They don't care. Like, oh, now you're not producing how you were two months ago. What's the problem? You know what I mean? You, you get get your get your shit together. You know what I mean? There was no like, hey, hey, Alexandra, is something going on? Like, are you doing okay? Like, you know, if, if you see I'm a top performer and all of a sudden I'm burning out and I'm stressed out, now I'm just being like yelled at and being um, punished for it. For, but when I'm producing and overworking and not sleeping and having bags underneath my eyes and 15 cups of coffee on my desk, you're like, good job. Keep working great for your numbers. Now, next month, I'm going to give you another goal that's a 10% more and then keep working you until you burn out. And then the minute you burn out, I just get rid of you. And I don't care because there's someone else will take her job, you know, and that's very sad. And that's self-care and even the workplace. And then it's our opportunity and also our, you know, due diligence to put leaders in those positions who really are leaders, who look out and take care of their team. And be like, no, you know what, Julie? And they force you, go home. You've done enough. Go take care of yourself because you don't want that employee burning out. Then she's going to leave your company. You have a high turnover rate. Then you're bringing in more people into the office and it's costing the company more money, essentially. Instead of investing in those who are working for them and reinvesting that time in their employees, they're cutting them out and getting new people in. And then you have all these people on stress leave. And then Americans, we ask ourselves why. It's the culture we've set for ourselves. Hmm. There, there was another, um, point in time when I remember these classes Mm -hmm. at work drew people from different parts of the company, different Mm -hmm. departments, different levels, meaning, you know, hierarchy or certain seniority and, and one maybe factor that let's say a CEO might be interested in is that these types of programs encourage cross-departmental relationships Mm -hmm. and ultimately knowledge sharing and Mm -hmm. kind of relationship building. And that's really important for companies that are generally compartmentalized or Mm -hmm. siloed or they're, you know, they're looking to have more creativity or collaboration. And I don't know if, has that been something that you've seen in your work as well? In terms of what the C3 method or in my personal experience? Um, personal and C3 method. And with the C3 method, I think it's really cool when we've done the team building. I know particularly when we went into NBC um, earlier this year, we did a wellness day and one of it was like a karaoke meditation. And at first, you know, we were kind of like, okay, let's try it out, see how it works because we were doing it with at the kids' schools, you know, like karaoke meditation for them. And it was hilarious. They got so into it. The bosses were there. People across different departments were there. They were coming together to do their own karaoke song. So, you know what I mean? Then they all experienced a group meditation, sound healing meditation together. They did yoga together. They were getting massages together. And they were all just, you know, having the same experience across different levels, different departments. You know, it was, you know, the management to uh, uh, lower levels, upper levels. So I think... 
those shared experiences, you know, kind of just remind us, hey, we're all human and we're all here together and we're all just trying to better ourselves instead of competing with one another, you know, and ostracizing different groups and having the ego and the political system within a work environment that just adds stress to everybody. Hey, we're just here. Like, don't take yourself so seriously. Yes, it is work, but we're also humans and we're here and take care of yourself. You know, so I think those wellness team buildings that we offer really have brought people together and it kind of lets your guard down a little bit. You have, you share a great, cool sound healing experience meditation with your whole team and your CEO is in there and he's just sitting down on, on the floor with you together. It's like a cohesion that you have, you know, like, Hey, you're right next to me. You're not really above me. And a good leader works with their team, not above their team. You know? So I do think that I've seen that these experiences can bring people together um, but I think it's just a matter of just kind of bridging that gap. I think some CEOs are hesitant to participate in the yoga, you know, with the team. They kind of let them have it like, okay, that's for them. And I encourage them like, no, please participate. If they see the boss doing that, then they're like, okay, it's okay for me to do it. You've now given them the green light, you know? So I think it's very important. And I think for upper management to also work together in that sense, and to have those relationships with them in terms of just building bonds and talking and, you know, helping each other out. It's like being role models in that case. Exactly. And if anything, it's a kind of an unspoken permission mm-hmm. to actually do it. Let's kind of shift gears along that line. How do you then create these programs for young people, kind of the next generation, if you were to instill this culture mm-hmm. young, assuming that their parents may or may not be their actual role models and they right. kind of, you know, are looking for something in another setting, whether it's in school or some pl- or after school. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think uh, first when we launched the C3 method, we had two platforms. So there was the corporate side and then the education side. Um, and we we knew we wanted to also go into schools to create these programs for kids in terms of yoga and meditation. And when we pitch it to the schools, they love it. I don't have one rebuttal. I don't have someone saying, you know what, I don't think that's for our kids. Never. They're just literally like, well, what's the cost? That's the only, you know, thing that enables us to move forward. And we were able to get into two schools, one in Brooklyn and one in Harlem, you know, at a, at a lower price point because we essentially were just breaking even at that time. And when the semester ended, their, all their budgets got cut, you know, and they're just like, we want to have you guys here, but we just can't afford it anymore. And, you know, it kind of weighed heavy on my heart because I was like, these kids really benefit from it. Like the school in particular that I was at at Brooklyn, they all lived, most of them lived in the projects with the one parent households, um, you know, different brothers and sisters. They also only got recess once a week. Um, it was just something that you see, I, they really need a time for themselves. You know, they need time to just express themselves. You look at the system and I'm like, it kind of feels like a little jail, you know, in all honesty, like they are told when to eat, when to go to the bathroom, when to speak. And in particular, this one of the, my kids, that students that we were teaching yoga and meditation to came up to me and he's like, hey, Miss Allie, you know, I really like your classes. I get to be myself. And I don't know why that moment, it like my heart just melted. And I was like, he just needs, 
he just needs a moment to be him, you know, and he one time asked me for 25 cents or 50 cents so I can, he can get toilet paper for his mom, you know, so they really don't have the resources. So how are these kids going to learn these tools and learn about eating healthy and learn about being happy and being nice when their parents are probably working two jobs just to sustain the household, you know, and um, so it really hit home and I just went home and thinking like, how can I help these kids? And, and I had a friend in particular who works with kids with autism, ADHD and depression. And we were just talking and, you know, I wasn't, I didn't even really wasn't sure too much how involved she was in that program. And she's like, Hey, funny, you mentioned your company. She's like, cause we actually are meeting next week at my school to talk about, you know, integrating different modalities for the autism group. And then, um, I was like, well, what's your budget? And she says, we don't have one. And immediately I was like, it doesn't matter. I'll do it for free. Like, I'll figure it out. Don't even worry about it. And two days later, they had their meeting and they brought me in. And by that Sunday, I had one of our yoga instructors there and we were paying our yoga. We were paying her. We just weren't charging the school. And when I went to that class and saw the benefit and how the kids integrated with our yoga instructor, like you almost cry, you know, because you honestly learn more from them than they learn from you. Um, but these kids need help and let alone the kids, the parents need a day to themselves. These kids, you know, um, even if they're high functioning autistic kids, they, it's a lot of time, you know, that the parents are working, they have, they need a lot of attention. They need, they have special needs and the parents just maybe might need that hour to run errands, maybe to sleep, you know, so it helps everybody. It's a win-win situation. And the progress of these kids doing the yoga, just from when we started to now, has accelerated. Like now they say, Hey, there's our yoga teacher. Hi, Miss Yoga. You know what I mean? They, they just look at our yoga instructor. They know that's our yoga teacher. They know the ohm. They'll be like, Oh, we need to do our ohm today. And they know the poses better than any other kids we've taught, you know? So I think that's a big, huge passion project for me and means the world to me. I don't think schools need to be paying for that. I don't even understand how it's not already integrated in their curriculum. And why is this looked as an outside cost to them? You know, we can start integrating emotional intelligence now into a curriculum. And now they see yoga as something normal and they know the mind-body connection at a young age. Think how different that generation can be. Um, and so that's how the Yogi Medicine Kids started. So I was like, you know what? Now I'm going to start funding it and try to go to as many schools as I want K through 12 um, and having just funds provided for them. They don't, the schools shouldn't have to be paying for this. And so that's how we really created this program that we're currently funding for. And now we've raised a little bit over $3,000, thank God. And so we're completely able to finish out into 2018, the autistic kids. And now we're going into two or three different schools beginning 2018. So congratulations. Thank you so much. That's how, that's how it all starts. And, and you will be having a lot of people knocking on your door looking for these programs. I hope so. And that's really what we, we, we plan to do and God willing. So thank you so much. So two things. One is if you can have a wish list that you will put out into the universe to support this program, what would it be? And second, how can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about your work? I mean, in all honesty, my wish is just to to continue to get the funds that we need to just provide these programs. And that would include like the mats and, you know, the yoga instructors and any traveling that we do need and coloring meditation books for the children. Um, that is my complete wish list. I mean, I don't know if either that's through grants or people who have it in their heart to just fund these programs. And 
essentially what I would love in the future is this just being part of school's curriculum, whether they're autistic or not, or have mental disabilities or not. I 100% think this should be part of kids' education and just really kind of alternating the, the ways we teach kids. We The schools haven't been much progressive in terms of how we learn. Kids sit at a desk all day as well. Um, I want children to be able to get up more, to talk about how they feel, to have a voice at school. They're the youth. And that's my wish list with these programs is to give kids the the, the chance to voice how they feel emotionally because we weren't taught that. And I think that has affected people. So my wish is just to get these programs all throughout New York City and metropolitan area and also around the U.S. essentially. And hopefully, God willing, this can expand and go anywhere. You know, I'm from Mexico, integrating this in different countries and just being the Yogi Medicine Kids program. And, you know, um, our website is the c3method.com. Our Instagram is at the c3method. Um, Both of the links there are to the funding pages that we have for people who want to make any personal donations. Also on our website, um, there's info at the C3 method for anybody who has questions about bringing the C3 method or the Yogi Medicine for Kids to their schools. You can send me all the information and we will definitely contact them back and try to get these programs. Essentially, since you know the semesters are renewing and come January 2018. And that's the best way to get in touch with us as well. Beautiful. Alexandra, it's so great to have you on the show and to share how your personal journey has impacted really your purpose, you know, Mm -hmm. what you're creating and uh, giving out into the world now. So thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's been an honor. And for you, our listener, think about what challenges you have experienced, whether it's your own story of having anxiety or depression And think about what contribution you can make in the people in your life. Until next time, be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.